You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, now. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Hey, Film Files. Welcome back to the show. So excited to be back for our first and only show of 2023, uh, or depending on uh, the editing, our first show of 2024. So we took a little break off this year to uh, write and produce and make a eight-minute passion project short film, and it all incorporates the people in this room. So later on in the show, we're going to get to uh, that. We're going to talk a little bit more about what we were working on, um, and the crazy journey that it's taken us through. Um, but this is probably my favorite of the episodes that we do for Movie Show Theater um, because I wanted to talk about the best of the best of the best from 2023. So I am joined by uh, two friends. I'm here with uh, music composer, uh, director, editor, cinematographer, C.J. Johnson. Hello. That was too many things to do on this film, but it was yeah. fun. <laughs> And uh, filmmaker, uh, producer, extraordinaire, owner of P3 Media Works, Corey Gilbert. Woo! Back again. Thank you, you guys. You guys are pretty much just co-hosts now at this point. So yeah. So um, I figured we could each pick our favorite from uh, the year of movies uh, this year. I don't know why I saw a lot of movies in theaters. Uh, they weren't all great. But I love going to the movies. I love taking myself to the movies. I had a couple of times where I just went by myself. Um, and if you know me and how psychotic I am, I get there like 30 minutes early. I watch Nuvi with Maria Menounos. And you do the outdated trivia. You finish your popcorn before the fucking movie starts. And uh, yeah, it's it's just fantastic. It's one of my favorite pastimes. I love the anticipation of like being at work all day and knowing like, oh, I'm going to the movies tonight. I don't <laughs> understand it. It's so nerdy. I think the three people in this room probably also understand that. Very much so. Uh, so yeah, I, there was a lot of uh, movies in thinking about um, what my favorite movie was. So I don't want to get too bloated. Yes, yeah, CJ, do you want to start with what your favorite uh, movie was and kind of why you chose that? Sure. Uh, my favorite theater experience of 2023 or movie that I saw this year um, that was released in 2023 was Talk to Me. Uh, Jimmy had actually convinced me to go see it. I had been seeing the hype for it. I was like, man, I love a horror film. So I went, you know, what, four o'clock in the afternoon to make sure that if it was too scary, I gave myself some time, you know, during the daylight hours to be able to calm down. Uh, it's lame, but I always do that. No, I love how vulnerable you are, too, because I'm the same way. <laughs> I'm that way for horror video games. Oh, okay. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. That's more interactive, though. So, like, I can, you know, you should be for forgiven for that. For but sure. still, it's I felt that same way for Hell House. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, anyways, uh, so I, yeah, I went in blind, um, and it was me and like three other people. And actually I went and saw it twice. The second time was a little bit more enjoyable, uh, because of the people that I went with, but it was fun the first time to seen it raw and man, it really, it's like, a 
you know, obviously there's spoilers. Um, I think that the parts of it that were super like refreshing to me, you know, like it's a possession film, but it's got a different take on it, which was interesting. Um, using the social media, basically Corey, like what the film is about is there's this hand that you can talk to the other side of people with. And so kids get around to a party and they film each other. It's like this plastic, like plastered mannequin arm. Totally. And so they, they basically tie you to a chair and see so you can't move. And they let, they say, talk to me. And the hand, you know, they place their hand on it. And boom, they like start to see someone appear in front of them. And the sound is incredible. Like there's a, the sound design in that movie particularly was super, super great. Uh, there was one person that had died underwater. And so all the sound went out and it was just like the water sound and you saw the bloated corpse pop up real quick and it was so well done uh, from a technical perspective too. And I watched interviews afterwards and the two filmmakers that made it are these like YouTuber kids that have been doing it forever, uh, doing all sorts of different random ones that aren't even necessarily horror. Um, But they, you know, they were talking about like, editing sound editing of themselves placing the sound effects and then taking it up a db or two and being like you know fighting over a db or two and i just thought that was super adorable and you know i mean we, we can all relate to that where you struggle with those small little minute changes and whether they're going to work or not and to see that same level of care you know from like indie filmmakers at that level who are doing it themselves you know uh, but still put out a product that's incredible I thought that was really fun. Uh, it was a fun, fun scene. One of the possession scenes had this like musical number to it that was just like it's this opera type part that was in Spanish or French. Well, it was a remix of an Edith Piaf song. Oh, okay. So Edith Piaf was like a French artist from the 30s and 40s. Wow. Okay. And so they like remixed it to have like a little bit of old and a little bit of new, which serves the story. Yeah, beautifully. I mean, just the pacing of it was awesome. And so in this scene, the music's playing in some montage of them. And they said that they shot this in a half hour, hour tops. Yeah, they had like 20 setups or something. Yeah, which is insane. Like they just, you know, freehanded it basically, which is crazy to see one of the most pivotal scenes in the movie just be, you know, they just caught the moment and found the actors where it was working for them and then just ran with it. But basically, they're each taking turns getting possessed by it, and they're technically getting basically high off it. You know, it's like some sort of feeling they're like that they get. Passing the arm around. Yeah, it's great. Um, and then there's some brutal parts in it that were fantastic. Uh, the young kid, he, I mean, he was super good. Um, he violently smashes his head against things once he gets possessed, and the demon takes hold of him. Um, it was good. There was some nice shout outs to hereditary with some of that visual imagery as well too, which I thought was awesome. Um, but overall it was great to see like a publicly funded film from Australia. Yeah. Right. The Adelaide film festival. Yeah. Did helped with the financing. Yeah. They provided all of that and then they took it to Sundance and then it got picked up at Sundance and then made its thing. And it was a 24. So a yeah. 24 like jumped on them right away. So do you follow A24 stuff at all? Uh, absolutely, I do. It is like such an incredible. I can't think of another instance of a company that just started as a distribution company and then like incorporated these production elements. And since they're non SAG AFTRA, during the strike, they were like carrying the movie industry on their back. 
and they were just like spitting stuff out and like three of my five favorite were A24 and uh, some of them are like you know pretty art house I mean they're they're not for everybody you know but like it's not just horror anymore because they did Euphoria mm-hmm. on Max and they did Past Lives that does look incredible which I, I is watch it. Past Lives was unbelievable it was so good they've 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 done a couple of Adam McKay's movies. Yeah, right. Vice and I think The Big Short. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Don't I, quote me on that, but definitely Vice. Yeah. And so you know they're they're interest they're an interesting outfit. They also were responsible for The Green Knight, which is an interesting movie. Yeah, they're like they're allowing these storytellers to like tell stories that you don't get to see anywhere else. Yeah. And a lot of them are very culturally specific, like that show Beef on Netflix with Ali Wong. Mm. Um, these like intimate, like Asian American stories, these intimate black stories, these just like shit that you don't see anymore. So when people are like, movies are all just remakes and superheroes, I'm like, well, let me show you the A24 catalog because I get that sentiment and, and I don't want to come off as like pretentious bullshit, but... A24 is just killing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're like, they're the 21st century, you know, Weinstein company, you know? Yeah, that like, yeah true. You know, because, like, you know, they started by being kind of the first big independent, you know, company. Yeah. And so A24, to me, is kind of the re, is kind of like the new generation of that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't seen The Green Knight, it's an interesting movie. I don't know if I'd watch it over and over again, but when I went to see it in the theater, I didn't know anything about it. And my friend Frank was like, hey, let's go see this movie. And I said, okay. And, you know, on paper, the one sheet, if you watch the trailer, it looks like, you know, some sort of a fantasy Lord of the Rings type of movie, right? And certainly it's in that genre. It's definitely fantasy, but it's its own thing. And and what I found interesting is that this was a filmmaker that obviously got no interference from like studios or anything and he was able to make the exact movie he wanted yeah that's for sure and it very much reminded me of like if david lynch would do fantasy oh wow it would be this Mm -hmm. you know um where it's a where it's a filmmaker that 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 works their butt off doing whatever they got to do to get to a point to like do the script or the movie project that they've always had that they don't want to be done anyway except their own way yeah and he definitely did that and it looks beautiful and the acting is incredible and yeah it's a very interesting cast because it's it's sort of like it's sort of like cast out of context because like the main character i think he's like indian mm. or you know i think he's some yeah, he in, yeah. Uh, and, uh, right and so like you know in this world it's usually white people right yeah, yeah. That's and a good like point. you know and he's like he's sort he's a he was like a prince or something yeah it's like a a skewed timeline and it's a takeoff of camelot i'm Mm -hmm. pretty sure you know i think it's like an intentional direct off of like king arthur and all that it was cast like sort of like intentionally sort of like misdemographic but on purpose yeah you know right and so it was an interesting movie and i will tell you this like there was maybe 30 or 35 people in the theater when the movie started and by the time we were like halfway or two thirds of the way through, half of the audience had left. Wow. Yeah, it's a it's a long one, but because I know people it's thought polarizing. it was going to be like a Lord of the Rings, yeah. and yeah, it's yeah. in that genre, but it's a but it's bizarre and it's offbeat. It's like altered fantasy, it, kind of. Yeah, and it's it's just offbeat, you know, and and so people just didn't understand it, you know. And yeah, they they left. 
you know. I mean, that's that seems to be typical for some of the A24 films. I'm a big fan of Ari Aster, uh, and he did, like, Hereditary, Midsummer, which you haven't seen in either of those, Corey, but I think the one that maybe he should watch is Bo is Afraid. It's Joaquin Phoenix. Have you seen that or no? Mm-mm. It is incredibly anxiety-inducing, and Joaquin Phoenix just crushes it. It's technically not really a horror, so I think you could get away with watching it, even well, though I'm not, not a elements. fan of horror. We'll go on the record for that. I'm well, not, I'm not, not no, no, not horror, saying that, but know. like some, you know, some of them you're not outwardly going to see. Like Hereditary, I wouldn't recommend to you to watch at all. Well, I own it. Terrifying. I own Hereditary on Blu-ray and haven't watched it yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely one of those ones that you yeah. can feel free to call me after you watch it, <laughs> yeah. and you know. Yeah. But like, talk to me is a fun group horror movie. Yes. Like, not all horror movies are fun to watch. Like me and my buddy, well, me and Randy went and saw they re-released The Exorcist in 4K this year for. And that wasn't night. fun. I mean, no. <laughs> it's gorgeous and like it's an incredible movie, but it's not an easy watch, no. you know. And in a lot of ways, talk to me. It, you know, there's a couple of scenes that are like a bit jaw dropping. In fact, somebody literally had a seizure in our screening. I saw it with Randy, and then two nights later, I dragged Anna to go see it again. To, for me to see it again and she went with me and uh yeah somebody literally had a fucking seizure and had to be escorted out oh my god at that hell scene smash scene oh yeah that would make sense too um uh, but yeah the the characters are so likable in talk to me and but yeah these filmmakers had never made anything i mean they had their youtube channel and it's just like goofy shit like they do like harry potter characters versus lord of the ring characters and they have all their friends dress up in costume but their visual effects work on these goofy videos is like hollywood production level i mean it is fantastic it's not surprising the output that they did exactly yeah so that was argue that was arguably going to be my my favorite of the year too i did have to talk you out of it i I know i i did see it three times Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, what about uh, who's next? Uh, Corey, if you had to choose a a favorite this year, we kind of dipped into it already, mm-hmm. but yeah, my favorite gr- would my favorite would be, and I, I think my I don't have a wide I don't have a big pool to choose from this year. I didn't see a lot of movies in the theater, um, but I would say The Killer. Yeah, and you caught that in theater. It was I only did. in the theater for like a week or something. Uh, just one limited engagement, one weekend actually, okay. one Thursday through Sunday. Yeah. Um, at just a few theaters in the Chicago area. Hell yeah! And so I went and saw it on Friday, the Friday night. I would imagine you yeah. Wednesday evening tamp- camped out with a Fincher sign, you know, saying yeah. "What's up?" You know, I'm ready. <laughs> it was a super personal movie. I felt like. For him, for him, like the more you know about David Fincher, I feel like the more you you would appreciate the killer, because mm, it's another movie that kind of subverts your expectations, right? I mean, it's not what a lot of people thought it was going to be. Um, yeah, I don't. Well, I mean, maybe. Um, I don't think it subverted my expectations really. Um, I don't really have a lot of expectations, you know, what David Fincher. I'm usually, my expectations are it's just going to be a pretty solid movie, probably technically perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, and pace wise is going to be perfect, very and, efficient, and visually is going to be perfect, and you know, camera direction is going to be impeccable. Um, and so, and then I think it was all of those things. Yes. Um, I think a lot of people were probably thought there would be a lot more action in it. Now there's that gigantic fight scene, which is epic. Oh my god, with but, the brute. Yeah, but with the you know, but you, you know, the first like 25 minutes is him sitting alone in this room, mm-hmm. and yeah. and looking out the window and doing yoga and stuff, right? And so there's you know, I think 
it took a while before it launched off the runway. Um, but for for a filmmaker like me and a, and a movie file like me, that's the kind of stuff I like. Oh, yeah. You know, um, those unexpected things like that. And then just patience, um, you know, the patience that it took to just sit through that first act. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, that's on purpose. And, 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 you know, to me, I like those types of challenges when it comes to consuming storytelling. Yeah, well, it subverted my expectations in a good way. And that, like, the first 20 minutes, you get this idea of this, like, kind of bored assassin who lives by these very specific, very important rules. And then he spends the rest of the movie breaking those rules. So he misses his shot. Technically didn't miss. Yeah, you think he missed on purpose? No, he didn't miss. The bullet was headed in the correct direction. The woman just stepped in front of it. Oh, right, yeah. So, an an so error the, so was there, made. And that, that's what, like, to me, that's something important to point out. Like, he didn't mess up, you know, well, I guess he technically he did because he should anticipate that. Adjust but, his windage. But they, you know, but there, no, no, it wasn't that. There was that, like, there was a weird structural thing in the apartment that gave him an unexpected blind spot. Mm-hmm. And she was in it. And then as soon as he had a clear line of sight, he fired. And he didn't realize that she was literally just like an inch away in that blind spot and she stepped in front, right? So there was this interesting sort of like on the fence of like, is he, like, is he, you know, like, should he hold himself accountable for that? Or is that one of those ones where you just, no matter how good you are, you could never, in, you know, like, account, that, for, account for that. Yeah. yeah. And so that, you know, I thought that was pretty interesting. They, 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 you know, they wrote it, you know, the story was written in a way where it's like, he messed up, but kind of technically he didn't. Mm-hmm. So there's this weird sort of tension there, and then it turns into your, and then it turns into a uh, revenge film. Yeah, you know that was unexpected to me. I guess same. I thought he was just we were going to be following this killer killing people, and I was kind of excited for that. You know, like I told you both that I'm not a big fast bender fan, but his emotionless played to his strength to me for this film. You know, yeah. like he was so far removed from humanity, and as soon as that error happened it like set him off on this trajectory to like reconnect himself to humanity whether he wanted to or not right so like he missed his mark or you know the a mistake was made and so the brute and the professional tilda go to fassbender's place and with the intent of killing michael fassbender but run into his girlfriend and they torture her trying to find out where he is. She, she does not give him that, give them any answers. And so, yeah, so that starts this uh, revenge tale. But, you know, one of his rules is like, never let your emotions play into it. And a revenge story is all emotional and it's all personal. Mm. And so, yeah, there were all the wonderful David Fincher touches you know like the title sequence was so efficient yeah it was like 25 seconds this is the most the most efficient david fincher title credits ever yeah because usually they're in they're like an entire scene yeah you know i mean you know like the dragon girl dragon tattoo i mean it's like a whole song yeah and you know the fight club opening is like a good three minutes long of pulling out of ed norton's brain yeah right you know and so i was completely blown away that was unexpected because it was the fastest most efficient David Fincher title sequence ever, mm. right? I mean, yeah. he just got right into the movie. And so that was kind of cool, though, because I'm like, okay, 
He's just trying to, you know, prove that he can not have to be all indulged into his title sequence, you know. Um, I always look forward to his title sequences, you know. Like yeah. Panic, yeah. Panic Room, like, kind of was groundbreaking. Love that one. You know, um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was incredibly groundbreaking. Um, and that, you know, and that one's cool because the girl in the oil is like her and sh- and she's going through all of the main points of what ends up happening to her in the film yeah inside the you know that sort of music video opening yeah but so i like that the title sequence for this was like fast and furious you know <laughs> um it was a change of pace for him yeah, yeah so. I, it didn't seem as cold and sterile as some of his other movies like mo- most of his other movies the writer his name was kevin andrew walker who wrote the screenplay for seven mm-hmm and uh, this is based off of a graphic novel, but like I didn't expect the first act to be so slow. I didn't expect him to fuck up his mark. I didn't expect him like he lets the pit bull live, mm. you know, like which is a very humane thing to do. Yeah. And like through the movie, he kind of gets reconnected to humanity, which is something I feel like he was kind of in desperate need of Mm. because while he's going through this whole like opening 20 minutes talking about how, you know, he does kill people, but somebody dies every so often, you know, every two seconds, somebody's born every 20 seconds. And, uh, you're like, Oh, these aren't the, these aren't words of wisdom. This is, these are words of a complete psychopath. Yeah. Someone trying to reason with themselves on why they do it. And he also sounds so bored (laughs) and, and so like, the scene I thought the scene with Tilda Swinton was so interesting because like why even meet with her like yeah. why not just pick her off from a distance that was my favorite scene of the whole film was just yeah. that their back and forth so good and it's also fun too to like the whole league of, of killers yeah, of yeah, assassins yeah. you know that they the kind skulls. of like get to know each other yeah that yeah. I thought that was hilarious because you know there's not that in real life there can't be you yeah. know but also it was just like fun to think about and she would have crushed it and that you know if she had had the the actual acumen you know i'm not totally convinced that she's not you know yeah. you know what would be a wild sex tape is tilda swinton and killian murphy all right <laughs> i just feel like they're both mannequins come to life like, yeah they're both they do they both have some weird facial structure look to them but they're both like really beautiful people though. they are you know like tilda swinton i've always had a huge crush on her She's ever just got a look. Beach? She's just so unique, beach? man. Of course. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's in, and she's been in so much stuff that pe- like she was in Vanilla Sky. Mm-hmm. She's like the no receptionist shit. at the. She's the receptionist in the in the like in his constructed world of the ah. of where he went to get the splice or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's just awesome, and then she's fantastic in geez the movie Michael Clayton. Oh, yeah. oh, I never saw Michael Clayton. Oh, it's great. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You would love it. Yeah, yeah we, love we it. could do a whole podcast on any Fincher film. For sure. Because, like, not, not all movies that you go to see warrant a deeper analysis. And I saw plenty of movies this year that didn't do that. I did the – me and CJ both did the 30 days of uh, Halloween, or during the month of October you watch a different horror movie. Um, and we both saw some real stinkers. Uh, which is just par for the course with horror movies. Yeah, I, I don't know if I saw as many stinkers as you did. You know, yeah. I always try to pull little nuggets out of everything. You well, know? I spent a lot of time on my list this year. That's true, you did. So um, you were and like I did, way more. I did stray, but yeah. you, yeah, you gave me a, a couple of really good ones. And likewise, you know. But uh, yeah, Fincher films. I mean, the scene with the fight scene with the brute was like a treat that none of us deserved. That was just astounding. I did not expect that. 
You know, it was magnificently choreographed. The spurts of blood was, oh, was yeah. my favorite part. Like, that was so effective. You didn't really – I mean, you saw the, the wounds and stuff, but, like, him just, like, trying to make it to that next point yeah. and he's still spurting blood. And the sound awesome. design during that scene especially. Like, mm-hmm. their feet on the hollow floor. Yeah. And, oh, you just, like, felt every hit. Mm. Yeah, and well, and the ending, I wasn't expecting a happy ending, but I appreciated it. Yeah, it was good. It, you know, the audio is always going to be you know a treat in his films too. There's always those echoey backgrounds and you know mm. people's voices that you hear through walls, and you know he, it's like a signature for him. You know, it carries that over in, into how that translates into a fight scene with two people in that sort of like Florida. <laughs> raised off the ground for Hurricane's house, you know, with creaky yeah. floors and stuff. And so that that was, you know, it was just an incredible scene altogether. What I love about David Fincher is his attention to detail and all the little things that you pick up on if you watch the movie again, like, and he'll call them out with insert shots, like the Advil, you know, because his head's pounding from getting the shit kicked out of him by the brute, you know, yep. and it's like two, it's like three scenes later, but he like grabs, he's waiting for some that person to come out of their house and he grabs the Advil because his head's been pounding for the last two days from getting the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. And that kind of stuff is just incredibly, you know, amazing storytelling and so granular and 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 awesome, you know, to pay attention to that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know? I I expected him. I was a little disappointed that he didn't kill the billionaire at the end cuz I thought that would be the perfect wrap up to this revenge story. Like technically you have to kill this guy to wrap it up. But then the more I thought about it, the more it kind of seemed like that was the final touch of him being reconnected to humanity. Like this billionaire is, if anybody's most responsible for his girlfriend getting assaulted, it falls on this billionaire's head and he knows that. So the only reason to not let him live is because he's like been reintroduced to being a fucking human being. Yeah. Well, that that's interesting. Maybe that's part of it. But I also thought that part of it was that the ultimate, like, worse than death, he left him with, like, I'm, you know, at some point I'm going to come back and, and, and yeah. get you. So worse than death is he has to live in fear for the rest of his life. That's true. And yeah. so basically it's worse than being dead. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was his punishment. That's how I took that part. Yep. Yeah. Um, the other thing amazing about that film was I was, like, Half of it was shot on location in Chicago yeah, with just epic shots of skylines outside of the billionaire's window and, you know, all those exteriors um, in downtown Chicago were just awesome. You know, reminds me of like all the shots I love in Ozark when they come back to Chicago (laughs) and they do those and they just make they make Chicago just look beautiful and amazing. And David Fincher did that as well with this film. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting at the end, the, the scene with Tilla Swinton, and she tells him this story, this like anecdote about this hunter that has an interaction with the bear, and the bear tells the hunter, I'm going to kill you or I'm going to sexually assault you, and he chooses sexually assault you, and then he comes back the next day, and he misses again, and the bear says, I'm going to kill you or I'm going to sexually assault you, and he says, I want to be sexually assaulted. And the bear says, are you really here to hunt or are you here for the sex? And to me, that suggested that he missed on purpose because he had reached the like a plateau in his boredom and isolation and like needed some sort of rebirth or, you know, something to like change monotony, which I don't think he did. But I do think it's interesting 
Like, what a way to suggest a idea. There yeah. would be a lot of layers to that if that was the writer's intention, because, like, that would mean that he sub his subconscious did it. Oh, totally. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. It, you know, and not his conscious mind. You know, um, he didn't do it out of like I, I'm done with. I want to do this on purpose. Yeah, it would have been completely subconscious, and maybe. I mean, yeah, I don't think but we're supposed to even consider so. that. I think the writer would be like, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. You know? Or if that is what I'm – or if that is an option that's up to you, you know, like. Yeah. yeah. But I, I do like the correlation to David Fincher as a director, like the parallels with Fassbender's character of being like a perfectionist, obsessive. There's some ego there, but like just the way that David Fincher makes movies. It, it was – um. I think there was no doubt that that was sort of an intentional, like, indirect biopic. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. All those soliloquies, you know, in the first act is, like, it's talking about his process, you know? Talking about process. Yep. And David Fincher is, like, the ultimate process, you know? He He doesn't do anything improv. Everything is calculated and controlled. So then is that an insight like how it changes almost is that an insight on maybe where he's at in his filmmaking career that he's like been so proficient in everything that he wants to open up to try and do things that you know maybe he's not going to be so precise on you mm, know yeah maybe he's going to do a movie that's like tons of improv the next time you know you know it's almost like he's allergic to it though you know like you're either type a or you're not you know and like that would be me, you know, very, my, my whole world is very compartmentalized. And, you know, part of that is, you know, maybe not the most healthy thing in the world, but another part of it makes it very organized. And there's some, there's always positives in that. And it's hard to like, try to like intentionally go, all right, this week, I'm just going to not do that stuff. <laughs> and I'm not going to do my OCD stuff. And it's impossible. Yeah. Right. Or you end up getting some type of anxiety that just makes it miserable. Mm. And so I don't know. We'll see. But maybe that's a good point, though. You know, maybe he's like trying to like put out a secret signal that like his next film is going to be just nothing but improv. You know, you know the movie Jack with Robin Williams. You yeah. Ever heard of that? Yeah, I've watched that garbage. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that? You know what I'm talking about? I do not. It's like this silly kids movie. Well, I mean, it's it's like PG, but he's like a he's you know he's a grown man. But he has some condition where he ages really fast. So he's actually like 10 years old. But he's like a 45-year-old man. Anyway, it's a silly movie. But it was actually... Do you know who directed Jack? CJ? All I remember is Jennifer Lopez was in that. And it wasn't like Rob Reiner or something, was it? It was the final uh, directorial movie from Francis Ford Coppola. What? Get out of here. He directed that movie. Well, I mean, that makes sense. His undoing was that. Or no, didn't he do... Uh, I guess he didn't do the third Godfather, which was like 96? No, of course he did. No, 90s, no. Or was that 98? No, no, 90, 91. Yeah. Was that early 90s? Trust me, I saw it when I was in Jack college. Jack was 96. Yeah, I, I wow. saw... Yeah, Godfather 3 was 90... It was either 90 or 91. Well, shit, that looked great for 90, 91. Like, it had... You know, I mean, that's not surprising, but that's mm-hmm. still kind of crazy. Yeah, and it, well, it freaked everybody out because, you know, they, they did such a great job at aging Al Pacino, like... Like the whole world thought Al Pacino like so- somehow got twenty twenty five years older. Wow. Yeah. It, it was not the last movie directed by Francis Ford Coppola. I'm sorry. It was directed by Francis Ford Coppola, but he did The Rainmaker in ninety oh, seven right. with, with Matt Damon. Yep. And he did Supernova. Uncredited. Don't the, quote me on that. The one. Rainmaker is a decent film. 
It's a John Grisham al- yeah. uh, novel. It just yeah. huh. it just screams John Grisham. No, yeah. it, it's white a, white men in suits. It's a John Grisham. <laughs> yeah, well, lawyers. Yeah, white lawyers. It's a John Grisham novel. I'm like 99 sure on that. Yeah, that's a that's a good movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely, it's a good movie. Well, I mean, it, maybe we'll get a Jack from David Fincher. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really hope not. Yeah. You know, Flubber would. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, well, my movie kept CJ up to all hours of the night last night. It's a movie on Netflix called Leave the World Behind. And we're not going to go heavy into spoiler territory because this did just come out. And this is a great movie to go in blind. But it's kind of all over social media because it's very polarizing, especially the ending. But it is directed by Sam Ismail, right, who's the creator of Mr. Robot. But he did a show like three years ago called Homecoming with Julia Roberts. And the show is pretty good, but there was a scene in Homecoming, and it's like a drama. But there's a scene where they use a track from the Halloween 3 score by John Carpenter. Like, Halloween 3 is a terrible, terrible movie. And it this, the track they used was not a horror scene, but the song is a very horror song. And I thought it was really interesting, so I looked up online, and the whole score for Homecoming are songs from different movies. Like, they got a song from All the President's Men, but they had to, like, get the rights, you know, to use all these songs. And they weren't, like, just stealing them. Like, they paid to use them, and they did it for a purpose to, like, serve the story. But I've never seen that done before. And, like, it just set out a green flag that was, like, follow this guy. Yeah. Yeah, Leave the World Behind uh, is about, uh, well, it stars Julie Roberts, Ethan Hawke, Mahershala Ali, Kevin Bacon for, like, two minutes. But it's about this family that goes to stay at this, like, secluded mansion for the weekend. And the owners of the house show up. There's, like, maybe a blackout that happened. And... They want to stay at the house with them because the roads are clogged up. And so uh, it's just a really tense thriller. Part of the story is these families, like, do you trust them? Do you not trust them? Like, you see the, you don't, you don't even know if this person is the owner and there's, like, a safe that's open. And inside the safe is, like, envelopes of money and a gun, which is a red flag. But also, if you have a safe, that's what you put in a safe is money and a gun. So a lot of like mistrust, like maybe misdirect, maybe that's what's going on. And then it kind of like turns into like an apocalyptic thriller. Have you seen the trailer? No. I mean, I roughly knew there was some sort of apocalyptic element to it. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. We're just trying is, to, Corey has not yeah. seen it. And yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a big movie. Yeah. I mean, I did, I knew there was an apocalyptic theme to it at least. So mm-hmm. cool. that, that did not, yeah. that did not spoil anything for me. Good. Yeah. So it's like, is it happening or isn't it happening? And, uh, but yeah, I like movies that take big swings and also, uh, the movie me and my wife both loved. It's like two hours and 20 minutes. Every 20 minutes we would like turn to each other. We're like, what the fuck is it? What the fuck is happening? And it's got like a 42% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. A lot of people are upset Hmm. by this movie. The movie was produced by Barack and Michelle Obama. Which was strange. And but. they had Barack, I guess, Barack and Sam worked closely with the script, which is really interesting. Yeah. Like he gave Sam some notes on it. and uh, Say what you will about Barack Obama, but he's got some taste when it comes to movies. Like His year lists for music and films yeah, yeah, yeah. are always pretty great. Yeah, for sure. 
yeah, I mean, the movie. He spent his life being a grant writer, you know, in his early days. Well, so yeah. I'm sure that ah. you know, I'm sure that you know, he knows how to massage written material. Well, and also when it comes to like attacks on the country, when you have an ex president that's involved in the writing, you're like, okay, this means something. Yeah, you know. I mean, they just specifically talked about one incident that we won't really talk about, but that was like, I mean, Sam had talked about that. That was like very terrifying to know that things like that are you know out there yeah right yeah and but it's but it's kind of an art house thriller because it does want to be analyzed like the living room has this huge black and white oil like abstract painting that's like eight feet by eight feet and throughout the movie the painting changes Mm. and like every 20 minutes the painting is different that like depicts something different and like in the, the bedroom, bedroom does that too. Yeah, in the bedroom there's a mural of like calm waters and like halfway through the movie the mural changes and it's like wavy water. And then by the end of the movie it's like a zoomed up like mural and it's just like underwater. And it's very it's subtle, it's not obvious, but a lot of people were like hated the ending. And it it's the kind of movie that like like I just, I just I saw some funny TikTok review that this guy was like, this movie makes so many promises and it doesn't fulfill. And then you see that it was produced by Barack Obama and then you know why. That's, and I'm like, oh, OK, so that's where we're going with this. Like, you know, it just it sparks a lot of public opinion. Yeah. And I love movies that do that, yeah. you know, and I just I mean, there were some kind of drag there were some scenes that like drug it wasn't like a flawless movie but uh the performances were i mean just astounding i thought the ending i was nervous like into the two hour mark i was like oh i hope they can stick this ending i think they did to a you know agree yeah i I feel as like a very adamant supporter and person that pushes mr robot on every single person that i meet uh that shows any sort of like taste that I can gel with and I think would like there were more questions that I, you know, wanted answered. And I, I kind of agree with that person's review, not the Obama. Thanks Obama part, but more like just that there were a lot of things that I still felt very unresolved on to a degree, you know, totally fair. How much would you bet that the filmmaker would, would sit back and be like, like that guy's TikTok thing was exactly what I was going for. Oh, I hundred percent agree. Yeah. I mean, the movie and the movie doesn't really even get like political, and I don't no. even I don't even want to go into if it was a happy ending or a you're a not happy ending, right? Because that's like you know a big part of the movie. But um, yeah. do you, have you seen Mahershala Ali and some stuff? You know, he's like unbelievable. Oh, House mm. of Cards, the third season of True Detective. Yeah, I mean, yeah he's yeah. fantastic in everything he does. So good. So he like shows that's up Moonlight. with this. Oh yeah. yeah! Oh, Moonlight was amazing. Still need to see Moonlight. Yeah, he shows up at this house and he's like, oh, "Yeah, I own this house." And Julia Roberts is like, "You own this house." Mm. And so there's like some preconceived like prejudices, mm-hmm. and people online are like, "She was unbelievably racist." Like, no, she wasn't fucking racist. She's got this. She's got prejudices and yeah. like you know whatever. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I just oh, I thought it was it was it was a I didn't expect it to be such a big movie. Yeah. You know, I sent a voice memo to my friend talking about that because Norm had also recommended. He's like, you need to watch this movie. And did like, he love it? Uh, he did. He, he liked it. I need to talk with him about it in person. But one of the things that I sent over to him, I was like, you know, I just don't know if I liked, if I either didn't like Julia Roberts' performance or she was so good that 
I didn't like her performance because she was so good. You didn't like her character. Uh, yeah, but you know, at the same time, like I, I did to a degree, you know. But like, I don't know. She did a good job of like making me sympathize with her, while still like being like, damn, I'm really stuck with this person for like two hours at this point. You yeah, know? it sounds like is the did the filmmaker you know intentionally playing on like the hypersensitivity of our current times he has a tendency to do that like that's a, that's the only caveat and i'm sorry to take over but i'd love no, no, sam no. ismail for a second for sure the only thing that i don't really care about sam ismail is like he has the ability to he's able to translate his own neuroses and our own neuroses and our own thoughts and feelings on stories and really craft them well but every so often he'll have a piece of dialogue and in Mr. Robot there's this piece a couple times there's this piece of dialogue where he goes off on this tangent where it's like saying things that we all feel and maybe it's just because like you know there's a specific moment where Julia Roberts launches into something that talks about you know us being disconnected from each other and and I totally agree with that statement and that Adam you know it's but it also hits a lot of points that we've already been talking about for a while yeah 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 and that kind of bothers me a too, little a, too on the nose a little too on the nose and mm-hmm. he could do that but you know when I think about when he did it, Mr. Robot like some of those sentiments weren't really at the forefront in what 2015 2014 is when I think Mr. Robot started. Um, so like I can kind of give him a little bit of leeway, but it's just one of those things that he really does similar to Mike Flanagan at times where he like will launch into, you know, his own thing where it's like, clearly this person doesn't deal with everyday people as often as they would hope to, like he's or they should more his agenda kind of. So I wouldn't call it an agenda because it's a thing that we all feel and we yeah. all relate to or no just... matter what side of the coin you're at. Yeah. Like uh, specifically Mr. Robot, you know, like we all kind of agree that things are are fucked at the top no matter which way you talk about it you know which whichever angle you're coming from mm-hmm. or does he oversimplify things that are more complex than you know like you can't you can't oversimplify the complexities of these types of issues you know? it's it's a bit of both you know it's a bit of preachiness and a bit of that but I think it's like I've never like it's never like so cringed and like Jesus, you yeah. know. But it's, I just recognize it from a mile away, and I'm like, oh, all right, here, here it we comes. Go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like these the the apocalyptic movies like they always have something to say, whether it's like you know a popcorn day after tomorrow sort of thing. But there's always some you know overarching environmental message, and it's just a matter of like how over the head are you going to beat us with this? Yeah. You know, and like leave the world behind definitely had, you know, something to say and like kind of something along those lines, but it was more about like how reliant we are on things. And, and that is something that we're all well aware of for sure. Like yeah. there's a scene when they're all on their devices in the car and we're like, we get it. We're consumed by technology. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, totally. That maybe this would have been more timely like four years ago or something. For but, sure. Like, I get the iPhone screen reports every week. I know that my screen time is up 25%. I don't fucking care. <laughs> I don't need to be told that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I get I get where you're coming from with that. Uh, but, again, like this is a person that loves this man. Like I, I love everything he does. He has a review, you know, of his top ten uh, shows – on the ringer uh, one of their podcasts he joins them every year and he's always got really great insights and i mean he's so such a fan of fincher and such a fan of you know kubrick that like he this one directly is like 
it's almost like he has watched every Fincher film in 2020 mm-hmm. as he's writing this. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, so we're going to do this here, mm-hmm. into this here, into this here. There's one that is totally like Panic Room that they go through a keyhole. They're like, oh, my God, how did you do that shot? Well, CGI. But oh, Yeah, I don't but, know, though. Todd, but, yeah. but um, when, it's interesting you said that because when, when Mr. Robot first came out, when I first saw the trailers for it, I'm like, is this Fincher? Mm, I yep. totally thought it was. Man. Totally. The the cinematographer Todd Campbell uh was on he's he was Mr. Robot and every pretty much everything that Sam Ismail's done. But he was, you know, he did a couple things of Stranger Things too, which mm-hmm. is funny, uh like the early stuff. But yeah, I mean it's like a very specific uh thing. But also Mr. Robot has its own like, you know, its own cinematography too. Like there's so much negative space or f- I guess forward space, whatever you call that, where there's a lot left in the frame. But they do that to a masterful degree in this one. The composition is just Dude, there so were, good. There were a couple yeah. of shots Every, that made me straight up nauseous. Like to a T. To a yeah. T. Yeah. yeah. There was one scene. It was There were a couple impossible shots that I love. But one that I noticed, these two people are looking out a patio window. And it's like an over-the-shoulder shot. And the camera is like tracking left towards the window while they're talking. And it goes through the window. Mm. And then as soon as it's on the other side, like into the backyard, you can see this shimmer on the window that it just went through. So like that whole window was CG. Yeah, the window's not there. Right. But like they make a point like they want you to notice. Like usually movies don't want you to notice the editing or the cinematography per se, depending on the kind of movie. But like this editing, like you'll see somebody look at something and they'll react to it in in like shock and horror and then they'll like make you hold on that for like way too long and then they'll cut away to something else before they like give you the cum shot yeah and it is just like oh my god it is just it's one of the most suspensable movies i saw i think all year oh yeah. man the transitions are great i love a good transition like mm-hmm. i just i can't can't not fall in love with the transition yeah when characters exit and unexplained that that bothers you like that part of your brain my brain lights up with like a good transition mm-hmm. oh i just love it so much or sound effects being used in transitions too like if they're used perfectly like uh, to me that's like one of my favorite things that i jump out like yeah i'll definitely be like oh this shot is cool but i'll be like did you see that fucking transition that was awesome you yeah know? and there's quite a few of those in this one yeah have we sold it have we sold it well yeah i was gonna watch it it was on my list for sure Hopefully we didn't yeah. spoil anything for no, you. No, I don't think so. Nothing that I didn't already kind of like figure. I want to watch it know. again. Let me know when you watch it. Maybe um, I'll come over and watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might just watch it tonight. Um, um, so we made a movie, guys, uh, and this isn't meant to be like uh, a circle jerk of creativity, um, but uh, we didn't make any episodes of the podcast this year uh, because um, I wrote a little story. Uh, and me and CJ spent the better portion of like of our lives of our lives like the little voice memo app for the iPhone we sent each other audio messages every day like multiple times a day for months mm. and months and months we're not asking you guys for any money we're past that point thank god we did uh crowdfunding and we raised a humble amount of money and we were lucky enough to have Corey as a resource to be our producer. Shout out to Corey. There's no, I, I was thinking about it the other day, like as we're getting almost done here, like in the very final throws of it and just thinking about, man, 
I don't know if this would have been possible without Corey. Like the the weekly meetings to keep us on task, to help us with things that we didn't even think about. You it wouldn't know? have been the movie that it ended up being. That's no, sure. not even close. Not yeah. even close. So we owe you our gratitude. I know we try to say this a lot, but we just appreciate you so much. Uh, hands for Corey. Hands for Corey. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I mean, I'm glad I can help, you know. And I, I had the bandwidth to do it, and I'm glad that I could bring, you know, my experience and some of my resources into helping you guys kind of do, I guess, what you consider your maiden voyage, you know, from a directorial standpoint at least. I mean, obviously you guys write stuff. Um, but, yeah, so um, I was uh, happy that I could help shepherd the thing to the finish line. Yeah, this, is, this was definitely a passion project. There's no monetary agenda with this we're not going to post it online publicly yet um because we're planning on submitting it to film festivals and a lot of times they have strict rules about not being publicly viewable for a certain time if you're listening to this and you'd like to see it feel free to comment in one of our soundcloud uh we're on podbean we're on pod uh apple podcasts anywhere you get your podcast were available if you reach out to us we'd be happy to share it with you yeah it's just it's it's unbelievable the amount of components and facets involved in you know making a six minute well actually now it's eight minutes which is great but an eight minute short film and uh we me and Corey have worked together quite a few times but I have not worked with CJ in this capacity yet. Um, and it was just the magic of creative collaboration can just not be um, understated. I'm, I'm fortunate to have a really great network of like experienced, you know, industry professionals, but you know, anybody who wants to like set out to do this, like can set out to do this. You know, we watch YouTube videos all the time. You know, if there's something that you want to do that you don't know how to do, you know, as far as editing goes, there's a world of, you know, YouTube videos. Yeah, I'm super proud of it. That's why we haven't been active this year. We're going to be more active uh, in this coming season. I'm lining up guests, lining up episodes, super excited uh, to see what happens. Um, we have a Facebook page that you can also reach out to us through. Uh, we always recommend you guys sending us movies that you recommend us watching because we will always have movies to talk about, but we would like to talk about what you would like us to talk about. So reach out to the Facebook page. Give us a movie you'd like us to talk about. Again, you can listen to uh, any of the rest of our podcast episodes at soundcloud.com slash movie show theater or Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Stay movies, everybody. This has been Movie Show Theater. Theater.